head on over to patreon.com forward slash severe podcast right now to support the podcast and sign up for our premium content and now here's the podcast graham mcdonald is an idiot sean sheehan of severemma.com he even has the audacity to call himself the quote-unquote pod god this is Severe MMA. Severe MMA. Severe MMA. Severe MMA. The Severe MMA podcast is finally here. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another edition of the Severe MMA podcast, episode 243 of the podcast today. Joined by Philip O'Connor from all the way over in fabulous Las Vegas, Nevada to talk about UFC 246 and the big, obviously, Conor McGregor versus uh, Donald Cowboy Cerrone fight from uh, from last night and all the fallout and build up to that. Never, Philip, how are you? How are things? Uh, I don't know which way is up, Sean. <laughs> we yeah. got back here at about 3 o'clock in the morning. Uh, you know, a fight like that was amazing. Like, it ended after 40 seconds and you're going, OK, well, what do I write now, you know? Mm-hmm. So I had a bunch of articles that I had to get done and then I had to film the press conference and get that away and that kind of thing. So we worked hard long into the night. I was there with the MMAfighting.com people. They were there as well, working hard, doing their thing, you know? So, you know, when the when the lights go out and the press conference is over, our, our work is only really starting then. So, and then, you know, you're so screwed up with jet lag and everything else here. I just woke up at a normal time this morning anyway and that's why I'm talking to you but I'm delighted that you're bringing that little bit of sunshine to my day now from Limerick mm-hmm. It's uh, this week has been I know obviously you've been over there uh, maybe a bit busier than me but for me I've, I've just been up the walls all the time non-stop it was funny this morning because uh, I was up until like what half eight nine o'clock Irish time doing different bits and pieces and uh, <laughs> I got a text do you want to be on Red FM in the morning I actually I got it during the week but it just kind of reminded me and uh, then I was like yeah it's in my phone number and I woke up this morning to a Basically, uh, here, do you want to get on Skype there? Like, okay. And I was uh, just like f- crawled over to my computer, turned it on, and started talking. I'm like, I don't know what I said. I'm all over Cork now talking. I could have said, I could have said anything at that podcast. But that's the sort of that's the sort of week that people like us covered the sport. Happens. It's just that, that happened to me. I think that happened to me after the Khabib fight. I had forgotten that I'd agreed to do an, an interview with BBC Radio Five Live, and I'd just gone to sleep about 20 minutes beforehand. With Five Live called up and went, "Are you ready to go?" Literally 40 seconds before me on the air and oh okay <laughs> <laughs> and, that was it. and I did it and it worked out but if you had asked me when I woke up that morning you know I had no idea what I said you know but yeah, uh, it, all, it all goes on autopilot after a while you know that's, that's the way of it as well I suppose that's we, we have lots of topics here to talk about the, you know the crowd and, and the Irish presence and everything like that but let's talk about the fight first I suppose because there's there's lots to talk because about. I won't take much time at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, you'd be surprised, but, but like, there's lots to talk about different things around Conor McGregor. Now, but this is an MMA podcast. Let's talk about the MMA, and that's the most important thing for for MMA fans and that, and everything else is 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 worth talking about as well. But for the, the fight itself, like to me, watching that fight, uh, I tweeted out beforehand my uh, biggest worry for seeing Conor McGregor coming back to his best after a period of only one fight in three years is kind of the timing, the sharpness. That's the thing that's always missing from people when we talk about ring rust and everything like that. That's basically what, what people mean, you know, the, the timing, the sharpness and everything like that. Um, And I suppose a quickly win from maybe 
the very start of the fight to thinking maybe his timing isn't what it used to be to like four seconds later thinking he was very sharp because when he came out and threw that big left hand I actually think Cerrone dipped under it and went for a takedown immediately which I, I predicted and I think a couple of a couple of other people predicted but McGregor stopped it uh, and when it got into that clinch and he landed those shoulders I think that was a great sign of McGregor's sharpness the fact that he was in there and he saw them immediately that was a sign of someone who had sparred hard coming in who was well on top of his game this wasn't someone who wasn't prepared for the fight you know he was prepared to land shots right as they came at him you know he broke away from the clinches too the intelligent thing to do for a striker like McGregor landed it was basically a naked head kick to be honest he didn't set it up he just threw it and landed it right in through Cerrone's guard hurt him badly with it landed a few shots up against the cage and, and finished him but what what was your kind of take on the whole fight and how McGregor actually looked in the fight I know we've only 40 seconds but uh how, how did you see him well, this, you know, if you compare to the last time that we saw Conor McGregor fight in the T-Mobile Arena, which was 15 months ago against Khabib Nurmagomedov, and we were all so surprised by how many shots he actually missed in that fight, right? Mm -hmm. So he got them away. Khabib's head was where he wanted it to be, but Conor missed. And we've never really seen that in his professional career. You have to go back a long way before you see him missing so many shots. And with Khabib, you only get, you know, you don't get a whole lot of chances. Last night, we saw the Conor McGregor that beat Eddie Alvarez. And, you know... That's like you said when he went in with that big left hand to begin with you think oh no here he goes again he's going to miss it but the presence of mind to realise that I can hurt Cerrone here with my shoulder I mean you know how often do you see that kind of strike in the UFC you barely hear it you barely see it at all and then to continue doing that and like you say I think he dodged an elbow on the way out when the clinch broke and that kind of thing as well so he was really tuned in he was really sharp but he was really conscious in there and that consciousness only comes from confidence right so he had obviously done the hard work we've heard Connor before tell us how much work he's done in his cardio and sparring and that kind of thing and you know we've seen him come up a little bit short but last night th that definitely reflected the work that they've done in the training camp so you know all the worries about yes men and bringing in boxing coaches and this kind of thing, they proved to be unfounded. I mean, it was absolutely incredible. And then the, the idea that he sort of consciously went after Cerrone with a head kick just because Cerrone has the most head kick knockouts in the UFC, that just goes to show how seriously Conor was taking the fight, how much he wanted to put on the show. And it was a thing of beauty. That landed like flush at Cerrone's jaw. Just, you know, Cerrone has landed a lot of those head kicks where it's sort of the bottom of the shin bone and the ankle which connect. And that really, really hurts. But the precision that Conor landed that uh, that high kick with was just incredible and watching it back people in the arena didn't realize how good it was we were sitting there just at the cage and i went oh wow that's one of the greatest things i've ever seen and when the replay went up and people saw it you know they went oh Cerrone attempt a head kick and then connor landed his they went oh because then they realized just how great he was and how precise his striking had been all the way through even if it only was 40 seconds yeah 100 i think uh, i did a breaking news podcast straight away after the fight last night uh, and i kind of mentioned it that this is i bet you mcgregor did that on purpose you know he threw that head kick on purpose because people were saying that cerrone was going to land a head kick on him and he said that in the press conference himself and it wasn't surprising because it's a thing we hear often from fighters who are at the top of their game like that john jones the best example of it he always talks about beating guys at their own game you know he wanted to take daniel carmia down he did it you know he wanted to beat gustafson standing he wants to beat you know all the good play people in their own at their own game in their own where they fight themselves you know and I think that that's exactly what McGregor wanted to do as well. And even if you you know you look at that head kick and just the accuracy of it, it's obviously something he, uh, you know, he obviously worked on it. I know, but it's something he worked on landing at the perfect moment at the perfect time. Like when I spoke to Conor during the week and talked about the pressure and Cerrone maybe throwing shots and uh, him being able to counter those shots. 
the the biggest thing I think about that head kick was he threw it before Cerrone shots even came. You know, yeah. he threw that head kick, anticipating what Cerrone was going to throw. Now that we talk about high level, we talk about sharpness, we talk about brilliance in fighting. That's brilliant to anticipate something before the person themselves even knows they're doing it. That was absolutely huge to me. That just showed how good. Like it's still only forty seconds. We'll get into maybe the 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 aftermath and everything like that and where he goes. But he like the sharpness. And, and another point as well. I think just getting into the fight and maybe moving on from the from the actual forty seconds itself. Like to me, he came out after one second and threw that big left hand straight out of the gate. And I think that that was very smart because some people said you know he wanted to beat Masvidal's record and get a one second knockout, which I could actually see as well. I could see him wanting to do that. But I think the the biggest point of that was. And we kind of talked about it the last day. When is the friendship going to end between Cerrone and McGregor? You know, they've been friendly all week. They, they shook hands uh, at the wins. They shook hands at the, the press conference. They shook, uh, you know, the media day. They were lovely. wouldn't say one bad word about each other. McGregor came into the cage. Fist bumped him. You know, almost hugged him. You know, <laughs> everything. Touched gloves on the, on the, uh, on the you know, the, the introductions and everything like that. And then the fight starts immediately gone. Immediately done. Immediately turned. Do you think that was a big moment? Was that kind of something people sensed in the in the arena as well? That maybe Cerrone was caught unawares a little bit. He was setting him up for a fall a little bit. What do you think? Well, I think so. I mean, you know, when they came out, they did the fist bump thing at the start of the fight. Again, this is not a Conor McGregor that we've ever seen before. And then just to unleash that, you know, sort of un- almost unthinking violence straight away from the off to go across there and like, you know, Cerrone, you're, you're like you're in a fight here now. Like the fun and games is all stopped. We're not standing here hugging each other and talking about how great we are. But you know, one of the things when you were talking about the head kick there, Sean, I was thinking that we we know we know Conor is a counter striker, counter puncher with that left hand. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if that left uh, that, that high kick to the head wasn't actually the earliest counter strike that we've ever seen because Cerrone never even got a strike off yeah. you know and that was really what got me about Connor was you know I think I wrote in the Irish Times that he has an almost psychic ability to work out what his opponent is going to do and then to counter that so quickly and again the same thing Aldo went in there with that loop in hand and Connor was there already you know, and, you know the, the, the punch that Aldo threw sort of grazed Connor but Connor was already he was been and gone kind of thing you know and the next thing he was stretched out on the mat and last night you know with those shoulders as well it was so quick for Connor to realise that, okay, I have an angle to do something here. And I don't know, you know, I'll have to look back at the tape and sort of zoom in a little bit, you know, but I don't know which strike it was that actually busted up Cerrone's nose because Shoulder. I was looking, yeah, yeah, yeah no, 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 but whether it was the first one, the second one, or the third oh, one, you know, that kind of thing, yeah, you know, yeah. because Cerrone really, as soon as the first one of those landed, he needed to be out of there because he had no idea what's going on. And when you're getting hit in the head, the last thing you do is stand there and try to work out where it's coming from. The, the only important thing to you at that point is it's coming. Now get the hell out of there but he stood there and he tried to work it out he's going okay how do I angle this clinch what do I do because you know he is a kickboxer he knows what he's doing here in a clinch and that kind of thing but he had no answer whatsoever and the damage he took there you know I mean we talk about Cerrone not being able to bring it, bring it in the big fights and last night is an example of that like at the end of it I felt sorry for him because I didn't feel that he belonged in there at all he had he was just blown away instantaneously by what Connor did and he had no answers I mean I can't imagine a Khabib or a Masvidal or you know or anybody else you can think of you know Gaethje or anybody else you know making that sort of you know misjudgment that that uh, Cerrone did last night because you know that only really hastened the end of the fight you know he was just he was so far out of his depth it was incredible. Yeah, I think the thing about Cerrone is you have to give him an opportunity to lose the fight and he'll take it and that, that might sound harsh but that's just the truth of it. You know if you go in and push the pace on him early, land a big shot early, and overwhelm him early, and he's talked himself and it's not me talking shit about him and he's talked himself about there being a kind of a mental block there a mental weakness 
chance when someone comes out attacks him early and takes it away from him he's not coming back from that you know it's 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 going to be the end of the fight but I'm not even sure that was 100% it here. I think the fact... McGregor, like, McGregor came out and threw that left hand immediately. Cerrone dodged it, went underneath, and it didn't hit him. Like So he, he survived that initial, uh, you know, flurry. It wasn't as if he wasn't fighting. It wasn't as if he just went in there and, you know, took the shot. And it got into the clinch. And, you know, the clinch I spoke about all week. I don't think Cerrone's necessarily fantastic in the clinch. I think he's good at getting to the clinch, and he's good at breaking from the clinch. Uh, but in the clinch, McGregor just, you know, busted him up. As you said, that, that he probably broke his nose. A little bit of blood coming from it. Then McGregor pushed out of it. Like, And in every, in every you know, facet of the game, apart from the first second where Cerrone blocked the shot, you know, McGregor won the clinch battle. He was able to get out from the clinch like he wanted. Uh, Cerrone, the only shot he threw in the whole fight was a kick. McGregor blocked it. Then McGregor threw a kick, landed it, knocked him down. On the ground, Cerrone couldn't block anything. And he just, he just destroyed him there as well. So every... Every whole facet of the game, McGregor just won it and took it away from him. But, like, even coming into the fight, you know, I'm not, I'm not a big one for looking at interviews and all. Though this week was a little bit different and seeing how they look. But as they walked to the cage, like, Cerrone, I thought, looked very good. I, I, I think he didn't look nervous or anything like that. And maybe that's because of the whole friendly build-up and all and the fact it turned Callum unaware. But I thought McGregor looked a bit nervous. He didn't look himself or anything like that. And... Maybe, you know, again, I want to get your take on, on the pressure. Now, like, he, McGregor's put a lot of this pressure on himself in terms of what he's done over the last couple of years, in terms of not just stuff outside the octagon, getting in trouble and all that, but his lack of preparation. He's talked about that himself, letting his team down with his, uh, you know, not just the lack of preparation, but the lack of, of, you know, wanting to prepare or the lack of commitment to his preparations. Like, that that amount of pressure, you you know, you cover all different sports where people are under the, the utmost pressure to perform in situations. Like, what do you think that level of pressure on McGregor last night was? Well, I, I think that the, it was huge because basically, if he had fought, lost his fight last night, you know, you can forget to talk about Conor fighting for titles, right? Things like that. It would have been Manny Pacquiao and Nate Diaz would have been the next two things that would have been up for him because they're the only two things that make sense in a sporting sense, you know. And you know, like it was interesting now what you mentioned about um, Cerrone coming out there and looking kind of relaxed when Conor was doing his walkout. Right, the music started up, and as soon as Connor made it into the arena, I wasn't watching Connor anymore. I was watching Cerrone, and Cerrone was very relaxed. And you can see it in my Twitter feed, you know, talking to the guys in his crew and that kind of thing. Looked calm, looked confident, and that kind of thing. But that all evaporated the instant Connor started to land those shoulders. And when when they broke, and you saw, you know, the the blood around the nose and around the mustache of Cerrone's beard, I figured he doesn't want to be in there anymore. And indeed, there was a fellow from a local newspaper sitting to my left there, and he was saying, you know, oh, you know, is he is his nose broken? and I said this is over you know and it literally was you know 20 seconds later the fight was over but in terms of Connor and the pressure yeah. it, that's what he does he's been a great man for putting pressure upon himself mm-hmm. you know in terms of talking of fights and saying when he's going to finish it and how he's going to finish it and what he's going to do next and that kind of thing right so Connor has this thing you know like the law of attraction thing that he likes to talk about a whole lot you know that he, he wills these things into existence he talks about those things because then there can be no backing down and I remember when we first started to come over here to, to see Connor fight and we talked to people here in Las Vegas in the fight game and they would say what well, set Connor apart was the fact that he backs up what he says so last night he went in there now granted it was a fairly generous task that he was offered right Cerrone is not at the top of his game he's not at the top of the lightweight division he's a very competent fighter but Conor McGregor on top of his game as he was last night was just going to blow right through him you know mm-hmm. but you still have to get in there and do it and you know Cerrone broke at that point you know I feel he broke when he got the shoulders in the face if you talk to anybody who does jiu-jitsu anybody who competes in mixed martial arts they 
will tell you that you know opportunities come up in fights for you to get out. Chael Sonnen has said it on numerous yeah. occasions as well. And you know the difference is you can either choose to take that, or you know you can choose to sort of keep battling on. Macy Barber, she chose to keep battling on. You know, and that was just an amazing fight. Like you know, uh, I, I think we saw things a little bit different from Octagon side again. But she chose to keep battling on. She went out trying to win that fight, whereas. Cerrone, when he turned his shoulder to Connor, right, when he covered up, you know, and you, when you cover up, right, and you're not facing straight on, when you turn your shoulders away, you're asking the referee to step, step in and save you. That's just what your body language is saying to the referee that's in the cage with you at that time. If you're still going face on, that means you're still looking for a shot yourself. But if your body's turned away, you can't. There's nothing you can land from that position. You have given up the fight. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately for Cerrone, that was what happened because he was just so stunned first by the shoulders and then by the head kick that, that he let go. But, you know, you have to credit Connor. All yeah, these people are watching. Yeah, you know, I mean, like, you got to land the shots and to land them in the way that Connor did, you know, again, Connor spoke about, uh, you know, finishing, like about going a little bit longer and that kind of thing. But when the opportunity presents itself, you're not going to hang around, you know, mm-hmm. and if you land the shots and the shots hurt, you can't help that. You've just got to go in there and finish that fight. Mm-hmm. But the end of it as well was, you know, uh, Connor spoke about it afterwards in the press conference where he was sort of inviting the referee to come in and stop yeah. it. I don't know if he was like holding off on some of the shots and that kind of thing and just demonstrating that he could have damaged Cerrone because that is, you know, much of us, Connor hates Khabib. The respect that he has for Cerrone is 100% genuine. Those two guys really, really do like each other, you know. And to be honest, I'm delighted that, that Cerrone got a big payday. Dana White was talking about it afterwards. And, you know, I don't know if, if Cerrone's going to be in, in the UFC for too much longer. I got the feeling that Dana was saying that, you know, there could be big paydays for Cerrone somewhere else. You know, if he was to go to Bellator or go to 1FC or whatever I think these people would pay handsomely for one of the most decorated UFC fighters certainly in terms of records even if not in terms of you know results and big matches you know but he seemed to be sort of opening the door for Cerrone to go and do something like that but I'm glad you know that he got his big payoff and that kind of thing but you know it doesn't tell us a whole lot about where Conor is going forward yeah I, I think we'll, we'll talk about Conor going forward I suppose in, in a second but you know, we talked about kind of before the fight, during the fight, but after the fight, you mentioned Aaron McGregor in the press conference, and I, w- I was very intrigued. I, I actually, kind of, I don't know, was it after or before the press conference? He spoke to RTE for a second, and I it thought, was just after, yeah. yeah, I thought he spoke very, very, very well in that short clip. It was only about twenty or thirty seconds or something like that. He said, you know, the Irish people were always with me when I was doing well, and basically said, you know, I let him down, and now I kind of want to win him back. And I thought well, those few sentences there were actually brilliant. Like, they were the best thing McGregor said all week because there was kind of an acceptance of, you know, we've we've heard all week, myself and, you know, Niall and Pete, talked about it and people being given out, you know, saying that the, the, the fan base hasn't diminished and everything like that. But McGregor basically said it himself there, like, and that he wants to win him back. I don't think anyone has said that he can't win him back uh, or, or they won't come back, a portion of it anyway. And I think the fact that he acknowledged that, if that clip is seen by even more people, will will be very good for him. But I think another part of McGregor after this, and someone said it, I think, in our uh, our Patreon group, that he didn't really zone in on one name he wants to fight next, because I think he wants to leave options open for him. He wants to go into negotiations with the UFC, having this option, this option, this option. Dana White was very much saying Habib Nurmagomedov, but I think McGregor was smart. What, what did you think of McGregor afterwards and the way he spoke about options and what's next? 
Yeah, I think just before we take that up, I want to go back to what you said about RTE because I couldn't quite hear what Connor was saying. I was standing at the back of that, right? But anybody who signed up at uh, patreon.com forward slash Severe MMA podcast will have heard you and me say exactly this thing during the week. We said that Connor was looking for redemption, but there hadn't been a reckoning. And this to me is Connor saying that is his apology for the to the Irish people, right? We said that he would have to come out and say that he had done things wrong and that he was trying to put them right. In no uncertain terms and he chose to do that before like in front of the RTE camera that's no error you know that's no coincidence yeah. that's nothing like that right it was interesting Brian the RTE correspondent I've been talking to him a good bit now over the last couple of days and you know we were all standing at the back of the room filming the press conference and then Brian had said you know he was asking me what should he do and I said look could you side up towards the exit there and you have the RTE microphone and if you say to Connor do you want to say something to the Irish people he always takes that opportunity yeah. he's done it every fight I've seen him at and this time he took it to send that message of repentance not an admission of guilt or anything else like that or not saying oh, all these things about we were true and I'm sorry the, the thing when he came out, out to sit down you know the diametrically opposed uh, press conferences of Dana White and Conor McGregor was absolutely hilarious because Dana was going right it's going to be either in some big stadium in England or it's going to be here in Vegas or something like that um Connor comes out, he wants it in Moscow. You know, he wouldn't really use, I don't think he used Khabib's name. He referred to him as that man the whole time and saying, you know, that they had an interesting sort of skill sets to, to compare and that kind of thing. Connor wanted to go. It sounds to me like he wants to go in Crow Park if there's going to be an outdoor show. Uh, he would be happy to become the first uh, combatant to go into the octagon in uh, or to headline a main event in the new uh, American football stadium that they're building here, you know. But he was a little bit obtuse about it. I, you know, I wouldn't underestimate the discussions that are going on with Floyd Mayweather at the moment. And, you know, like there seems to be this bizarre love triangle between Floyd, uh, Connor, and Manny Pacquiao. So, you know, what I'm hearing is that the belt would be a boxing bout against Manny Pacquiao. Was 41 years of age, one of the all-time greats in boxing, uh, with Floyd Mayweather promoting it, right? Mm. And then, you know, what might happen there then is, of course, you know, because those fights, it doesn't matter if Conor wins or not. You're not tuning in to see a fight, you're tuning in to see a freak show, you know? And people in America, when it comes to boxing, you know, they'll pay for abs almost absolutely anything. You know, like it's one of those sports that just has a hugely sort of loyal following that's going to watch that kind of thing. So that's something that he wants open to him. The problem is that Tony and Khabib are already booked, right? But as Conor has said, he doesn't expect that fight to take place. If I either of those wasn't booked that would be the next thing to actually the title fight would just be the next thing to do that'd be it you know yeah. but you know I think you know the, Gaethje seems to be completely off the off the radar uh, Masvidal has done himself no favours I think no. there's a bit of sort of um, animosity if you like now towards Masvidal because Masvidal came into town he did an event if you go over to MMAfighting.com he did an event to launch a mezcal tequila that uh, PT and the boys were at and that kind of thing and I think that that you know uh, Connor and his camp may have felt that Masvidal sort of you know hanging on his coattails yeah. a little with there, you know, did, did the whole Versace robe thing and this kind of thing, and I think they they just went. Nah, that's, you know, you know the way when fighters have called Conor out before and they, they overdo it. Mm -hmm. And Conor just goes, no, nah, you're trying too hard, man. I, I'm not, not going to take this fight. So, you know, I would say, and it's the most dangerous fight for Conor again. I think if he turned up looking the way he did last night, you know, I think the Khabib fight would be a totally different story. If we had seen that Conor last night against Khabib uh, back 15 months ago, we would have seen a lightweight title fight for the ages. I'm not going to say Conor would have won it. I'm not going to say anything would have been different. But, you know, the, the fight itself would have looked a whole lot different if he'd been in that shape. Mm -hmm. There's a few things to unpack there, right? So let me go to there the... Is. Let, me, <laughs> let me go to the boxing first. And I'm taking off my, uh, my media hat here for a second and I'm going full MMA fan, right? And it, it makes me sad to even think that Conor McGregor could go and box next. Like, I, I, I'm I, actually sad thinking about that. Like, 
we we have seen Conor McGregor fight in the UFC at lightweight twice, twice. He lost once, won once. Like, how can we not see McGregor at lightweight again? He's best weight. And 170, you can talk about 170. He looked good last night and everything. He went 40 seconds. The questions that we spoke about in the podcast before still remain. But McGregor is in his prime right now. He's 31 years of age. He's a good bit of time off. You know, he's, uh, okay, he's not been the best outside of the cage since that. But he seems to have gotten back in in the next five months. He's talking about all the good things coming up. Going to get back into training Monday or Tuesday morning and, and be at it again. For him to go into camp next and go into fight a boxing match and go back to square one where he's taken another year off of MMA or another 18 months off of MMA. As an MMA fan, whether you love or hate McGregor, and we're talking about purely MMA here, it's you cannot be but be sad about that. Like I really want to see him fight Gaethje. I really want to see him fight Masvidal. I want to see him fight Habib again. I want to see him fight Tony Ferguson. You know, he even called out Paul Felder a little bit last. Night. I'd watch that. Bring bring a card back to Ireland for a, like that. I think that'd be perfect. Bring McGregor fight Paul Felder back in Ireland. Um, uh, if you're waiting for Tony versus uh Tony versus Habib, no money and everything we can talk about that maybe it's not perfect you know what i mean but it's as an mma fan as someone who loves the sport more than anything else i love i love this sport before i ever got into talking shit about it here in this podcast i want to see conor mcgregor fighting in mma as much as i want to see justin gaethje fight or junior dos santos or steve Miocic or demetrius johnson or whoever i want to see these great brilliant fighters fighting in mma in their prime like conor mcgregor to me, as an MMA fan, I'm not talking about as a money man or about Conor McGregor himself. I'm talking about me here. He has wasted a huge portion of his prime. And that's sad. Like, if Anderson Silva had wasted a huge portion of his prime or any of the lads I mentioned there, Demetrius Chance or any of them guys, I'd be sad as well. And I think everyone listening to this podcast who's an MMA fan should be sad. Like, we need him to fight an MMA next. Now, it might be different for him and you can look at it from his point of view and everything. I'm looking at it purely from my point of view and it'd make me sad. Like, was that kind of the feeling last night as well? I know a lot of, obviously, MMA people and non-MMA people uh, covering the card last night. Was that was that kind of the feeling when the boxing came, everyone's heart, the, or the boxing talk came, everyone's heart kind of sank a little bit? Oh, look at it. Every time somebody picked up a microphone and asked a boxing question this week, we all just cried. It was like, lads, can you stop talking about this, please? Because we know what awaits, right? You're talking about two, three, four months of a camp. You're talking about a build-up. You're talking about a boxing match that he most likely has no chance whatsoever of winning. Uh, we're going to have to go through that whole thing again. Now, you know, I mean, Connor's the one who's going to make a huge amount of money out of this. Dana White's going to make a huge amount of money. A lot of people are going to get very, very rich doing it, and a lot of gullible people are going to part with their money for it. But it, it gives us absolutely nothing. I think one of the people, though, who is equally sad and equally disappointed at the time that has been wasted by Connor, like in a one fight in the last three years basically you know since 2016 until last night I think that's Connor McGregor himself yeah. I think he realizes that these are the best years of his life you know he was 28 years old I think when he became uh, was it was he 27 or 28 when he no, became the two-weight yeah. world champion mm -hmm. you know and I mean th those are years like you know th this is a brutal game now okay he walked out there with a scratch last night and Cerrone's face was in an awful mess from man had only been fighting for 40 seconds but you know the ability of, of Connor to get a quick turnaround now and to go back in there against Tony and or, or Khabib if one of them was to, to slide out of that fight and Dana said he'd do it he'd do it straight away if you know if one of them came out he'd put Connor in there it doesn't matter if it's only on a few days notice because people will will tune in to see that kind of thing but yeah I mean everybody in the press room last night I was standing on the so the dais at the back with all the camera people Casey from MMA fight was there there was guys from Russia everything else and everybody was saying uh, Gaethje Gaethje's the fight that everybody wants to see put Gaethje in front of him and let's see you know uh, how he can do now 
I kind of got the feeling that, you know, he, Connor was just so, so high level, so punishingly accurate last night that I think he'd probably take Gaethje. I was really, really nervous about that fight beforehand from a Connor McGregor perspective because I thought that Gaethje would just walk right through him. But if Connor's prepared, like, you know, one of the things that we have to remember, like, it wasn't just the high kick, it wasn't just the shoulders. What bedded for Connor's success last night was not allowing Cerrone to get that takedown when he shot. Mm-hmm. And, and that, that says everything now about how things could go against Khabib, how they could go against Gaethje or Tony or whoever else it happens to be. So that's an intriguing prospect. And to turf boxing in there and this, you know, this talk about Manny Pacquiao and this talk about Floyd Mayweather, you know, this talk, oh, you know, I want to win a world title in, in boxing. You know, well, you should have thought about that when you were 12 in Crumlin, yeah, exactly. if that was the way you want to yeah. go, you know. And yeah. so, you know, it's too late for that kind of thing now. And, and anything else is just going to be, you know, the Floyd fight was just deeply unsatisfied because, you know, the final bell went, the referee waved off the fight. And we went, OK, what have we learned here? We've learned nothing other than that Conor McGregor is now a very, very rich man. And any, you know, any foray into boxing, you know, he's not going to get into contention. He'd have to fight six, seven, eight, nine times to even be considered for, you know, even one of the minor belts there, you know. So I just think, you know, it's a distraction. It is going to happen. You can bet your bottom dollar yeah. that it's going to happen. And Conor's going to walk away with 150 million and Floyd the same and Manny the same and everything. Everybody's going to walk all laugh all the way to the bank and that kind of thing. But, you know, the, you know, the sun is kind of beginning to set on Connor's career. He doesn't realize that yet. And it sounds like a dumb thing to say, but time is limited here. And any smart individual, and Connor McGregor is a smart individual, wants to get out of this game as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. Cash in, get out. That's the only way to go. And again, you know, if you want evidence of that, look no further than Donald Cerrone, who at the age of 36 in his 51st fight was in there last night getting the head bet off. You know, mm-hmm. how many more times can you be expected to do that? You know, at, so, at some point, you have to walk away and if Connor can walk away healthy without too much trauma with all those more with all that money in the bank I mean that would be the perfect Hollywood ending mm-hmm. I like I talked talked to you earlier in, in the week about it before I interviewed Connor and talked about you know the question I'd ask him and actually Ariel asked him before me so I didn't get it but like you know why are you still fighting and everything like this and he said he's fighting for the love of it but you know he's always said get in get rich and get out and it's all about timing, as you said there. What's you know, what what's what does he want to time right now? Does he want to time himself getting back into being the best MMA fighter in the world? Or does he want to time himself being becoming the richest guy in the world to fight in MMA or to fight in combat sports? And if it's the latter, there he'll fight Manny Pacquiao or Fly Mayweather next. There's no doubt about that. But I I hope it's not like I hope he earns loads of money and I hope you know he talked about eighty million. That's Cods wallop 100%, but I hope he did earn 80 million, and I hope he earns 100 million for the next fight, and, and I hope he gets everything that he ever wants. But I also hope it's in MMA. And, like, I think, you know, timing there as well. Uh, I think after this fight would have been the perfect time for Masvidal, and, that, you know, you, you spoke about him there for a second. Masvidal has just, oh God, he took so many missteps this week. Like, everyone wanted that Masvidal fight after. Not everyone, but a lot, a lot of people. You know, a lot of people want the Gaethje fight as well. And I think the Masvidal fight, what McGregor wants to fight at 170 unless he's fighting for a title. So, you know, the Gaethje fight at 155 is not, you know, is not the fight that he's going to take uh, if, if he wants to do that, obviously, because I don't think Gaethje will come up to 170. He just seems like that sort of guy. So Masvidal is the one there and he has that BMF title and, you know, you can work that around and everything. And I, you know, Masvidal's a very, very, very good fighter. Don't get me wrong. But Conor McGregor, people don't, I don't still think people don't realise how good 
Conor McGregor at his best is. Like Nassan last night, as he said himself afterwards, was a good first step to get back in. If he's another three or four month camp, he's going to come on leaps and bounds, and I'd favour him to beat Masvidal. I've said that for the last year. I've said it for a long time, so it's not just me coming out after McGregor lands in 40 seconds. Like McGregor to fought Habib wouldn't beat him, but I think McGregor, if he's back to his best, I'll beat him. But Masvidal, like you know so uh, i was talking to one of the lads kind of a, a very casual mma fan who watches mcgregor fights and watches you know some some guys he likes he's like what why would why would does anyone want this masvidal fight like what's that about is like is masvidal doing well or not? like i think in mma we t- kind of think masvidal may be a little bit of a bigger deal than he actually is now maybe over in florida and things like that he's a bit of a big deal but I feel like he could have become that big deal last night, right, if he had done the right things. If he had been there when McGregor walked out of the cage and he, like, stared him down or he was, you know, he got McGregor to talk about him in the press conference afterwards. But McGregor did an interview with Ariel and it was like, you're almost embarrassed by him. Like, McGregor was like, oh, I don't want to even talk about this guy. It's, like, cringy with the, you know, yeah. as you said, selling the alcohol like McGregor, wearing the jacket like McGregor. Like, Masvidal's gimmick is, like, this really cool guy who's knocking people out and, you know, he's everyone's favourite fighter and all. And just last night, I think, even, I, I kind of, I sits to myself, I was like, no, he's taking the wrong steps here. Then everyone online I saw talking about, I was like, God, what's he doing? And then McGregor comes out, God, what's he doing as well? It was, like, no one said it. McGregor's always said about it, and Diaz has always said it as well. No one called my name. You know, no one put themselves and you know in the line and made me make them my next fight. And yep. Masvidal almost did the opposite last night, didn't he? Oh, I think he's, he sort of talked himself out of a yeah. hugely lucrative fight. You know, if you overplay it as well, it looks cheesy. And it just looks... Because, you know, Masvidal made no secret of the fact they asked him why you want to fight Conor McGregor and he said money. You know, that's not the right answer. We all know you're going to get paid. So don't rub people's noses. In it. And this is why I think Gaethje is out of the question why Masvidal are out of the question, right? Because if you step back and don't look at Conor McGregor as a fighter, look at Conor McGregor as a brand. Look at him as a UFC asset, right? And if you look about how you would plan his career over the next nine to 12 months, what do you do, right? And I think he has worked on this theme of redemption. But again, you know, he's been kind of echoing what we've been saying, that this is a milestone. This is not the destination, that fight last night. So there's still redemption to be had. Mm Mm-hmm. He needs, he's only won one with Diaz, right? Yeah. So that's, that. you know, you talk about getting a fight back and that kind of thing, right? So he's only won one. If he really wants to be the victor of that, he has to take on Nate Diaz one more time. For me, preferably at 170, just to keep the thing together. Uh, I know he wanted Nate to cut the last time, you know, when he, when he spoke after beating him and that kind of thing. But I'd say that's probably changed by now, right? That's the first aspect of it. The second one is he needs to redeem against Khabib. He needs to take Khabib's unbeaten record. He needs to knock him out. He needs to put him on his back. And he needs to have the pictures, not of him sitting with his back against the cage having been choked out, or not of him being sucker punched by Khabib's team, but of him standing over Khabib, or him handing his ra- having his hand raised in a fight with Khabib. That's redemption number two. Mm-hmm. Redemption number three is in the boxing ring. Right? Connor is convinced, seemingly, that he did really, really well against Floyd Mayweather when it came to boxing. I, I disagree. I don't think too many people who know anything about boxing would agree too much. He absolutely did some good things, yeah. and he did well to stay in there for as long as he did, but when Floyd turned up the heat, he couldn't live with it, right? Now, he can also redeem himself there. If he was to go the distance against Pacquiao, you know, it, just go the distance. It doesn't even have to win. It doesn't have to land. It could be a unanimous decision for Pacquiao, but if he could go the distance against him, a 41-year-old who's a senator, a professional politician now, you know, that would be redemption there as well, and it might open up then for Floyd to come back out, and the two of them could dance around and take an even more of our money. So that, to me, you know, Gaethje doesn't fit there. 
Masvidal doesn't fit there. In fact, you're opening Very new narratives point, yeah. that you may not be capable of closing off, right? Connor sees these things. We've already seen him, you know, since day one when that shield is usually on this podcast and hanging yes. around with him. Connor has seen this as a film, as a narrative. When he talks mm. about narratives, he's one of the few people who knows what he's talking about. He knows the arc. He has been down to the bottom. You know, we know what the hero's journey is here, what he has have to, had to overcome. You know, we don't know the details, but, for, you know, for the, this fight against Aroni, he had to overcome himself. And he spoke very eloquently about, you know, finding the desire to get back in there and not let people down and do it again. So, you know, to me, the road to redemption is kind of clearly marked there. And any diversion is just going to lead to being like, you know, the script of the last Star Wars movie where nobody has any clue what's going on half the time. So if he follows that line, I think he has a very, very, very lucrative shot at becoming, you know, bigger than Mike Tyson, bigger than all these guys. You know, if he can do those three fights and sort of get, you know, one boxing loss and two superb wins, that would be something else, you know? I'm, I'm glad I got you on for that. That was fucking brilliant. Like, that, that, make, that makes perfect sense. Like, he does narratives. You know, he's spoken about narratives all week. If you listen to the podcast either with me, he probably mentioned the word narrative five or six times in the space of six minutes. And that's exactly it. He Those narratives exist, and I think... You know, I think he he wants to continue him on. He wants to finish him off. But there's a couple more more things before we move on to the to the rest of the card. Two things on McGregor, right? You know, you spoke about about Habib there, and he was asked the question afterwards in the press conference, and he gave to me a very interesting answer. He asked about Habib: Will it be the same for Habib? Will it be respectful, or will it will it change? And that was kind of the question I thought about. You know, we we talked earlier in the in the week, and I call this fight a palate cleanser. I've been calling it that for a, for a week. This is reset. And he's going to go again next. You know, he did the interview with Ariel a few months ago. Did another one this week. Spoke to me. Spoke to the media. Won the fight. And now spoke to RTE last night. Apologised. And now I'm moving on. The last words in that RTE interview. The last interview he did last night. Moving on. And this seems to be it now. But when he's moving on. he, You know, the question I was, I was talking about a second earlier. He was asked about Habib. And what way would he act? And he said, whatever comes naturally. I'm not making any promises. Do you think... You know, you've covered sport for a long time and seen lots of different people talk in different ways and boxing and MMA, everything like that. Do you think McGregor, right, let's say McGregor, for argument's sake, is booked against Habib next. Um, do you think McGregor takes this approach again or does he go full on, I hate Habib, you know, tumultuous build up for that fight again? I, I don't think we will ever see the disgrace that was the Radio City Music Hall press conference again. Mm-hmm. I think if you were to ask Conor McGregor, if he was to have a moment of clarity and honesty with you, he would tell you that that probably embarrassed him. That he, he like you know he overstepped the mark. I've told you the story many times of how I went straight to the airport after that press conference. I got on the plane. I went to a soccer game the following night. And all the kids that I know from a Muslim background who were up there watching the local soccer team play were just, they were they had flipped in an instant. Conor lost so many fans that over that fight. And he lost so many fans fans you know about how he behaved you know before during and after that fight and that's just he knows that now you know because the distractions are now gone Sean he's given mm-hmm. up the party and that kind of thing he doesn't feel that he has to be this you know uh, you know this sort of all singing all dancing uh, kind of guy anymore he has gone back to his roots of being a fighter and that kind of thing I do think that there is genuine dislike and there's genuine uh, aggression and animosity between those two men but I do think that you know Connor is not going to let that control him again he's not going to go into the cage angry he's not going to go, go into the cage underprepared I think what we'll get is like you know a more sort of personalised sniping at Khabib 
right? Which is not to do with his uh, his his religion. It's not to do with his family. It's not to you know. It'll be to do with how Connor is more loved by the Russian people than Khabib is, and just try to undermine him that yeah. way. But I don't think it's going to get to you know. As well, I think Connor has been sort of you know more humorous this week. You know, there's, he hasn't been using the words like bitch and pussy and that kind of thing yeah. that he would have been using before. So I think we're going to see a much sort of calmer, not contrite, but a much calmer McGregor going into that fight because you know I, I think he he really genuinely enjoyed this week. He seems genuinely happy after all that has happened in his career and his life, you know, because again, I go back to the conversation I had with him in October 2017, I think it was, there's no handbook for this thing, you know, mm-hmm. he just went in there and he was like, he was making, like making, doing his best to, to get through these things with very little help from anybody else. And I think he's realized that, you know, that sort of animosity and, and whipping up those feelings of resentment in himself, it didn't benefit him at all, you know, so I think, and as well, I think he's more comfortable in himself because sometimes the best thing that can happen to you is the worst thing you can imagine, right? Yeah. The worst thing he could imagine was losing to Khabib. It cannot get any worse than that, right? Now, you know, all he has to do is to go back out there and make sure that he does not make the same mistakes again, that he goes in there prepared. You know, again, last night, he was shedding light on the fact that he'd go to, you know, like he'd train really hard one day and then go missing for three days. He knows that's not good enough. Mm-hmm. Back at the time he was doing it, he believed that, you know, he was just so talented that he was going to be able to get through without the hard work. But nobody in this game who does that lasts long. So he's rediscovered himself now. He seems to be in a really good place. Dee was there last night. His kids are here in Vegas with him. You know, his family were here. They all came in on Roddy, his dad, Tony, they all came in to listen to the press conference, you know, and he seemed really in harmony with himself there. So I do think, and I honestly hope, because, you know, what will end up happening is if he does go down the dark path again, he's just going to throw away all the good work he's done on himself and with fans and with everybody else over the last while. Now, again, you know, we can't shy away from the fact that there are still questions left to answer about his behaviour outside the octagon. Yeah. And again, he said himself, the time will tell, you know, but I would definitely hope, and I definitely hope that that is something that gives him a much bigger chance against Khabib if he can keep his, his emotions in check before that fight and during that fight. Yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, we must mention this as well, like that there's a tendency to kind of forgive and forget after a win like this and say McGregor's back. You know, I've mentioned it, you know, the I'll use his word, the narrative he's been trying to to push himself, you know, and trying to create from, you know, the Ariel interview a few months ago to the Ariel interview this week to speak to me to the fight and moving on. A lot of people are not going to move on from this fight. A lot of people are not going to forgive and forget, whether that's fans or, you know, uh, you know people outside of it, troubles in his in his personal life and everything like that. That's going to take time as well. And when it leads into the next fight, we could still be talking the same way about this. And so I don't want to come on this podcast and say, you know, Conor McGregor's back. He's the best human being in the world and he's the best fighter in the world and everything like that. So let we, I think we can hold the brakes on, on that a little bit. But, you know, we've talked about that loads before and I'm sure we'll talk about it again and we talk about it before the next fight and everything like that. So I think that's an important thing to say as well. But one thing I really want to get from you before we move on to the other fights, the last thing here on, on McGregor and stuff, you know, the whole week building up a lot of it as well has been about the Irish fans and people showing up for the fight and people being back on the McGregor bandwagon. What did you say? Obviously, you were in obviously you were in Las Vegas last night and during the week. How did you see the fans at the wins, the fight, and everything like that? And and traveling Irish, and I know McGregor had got a big pop, and there's you know lots of Americans there as well. But what was the Irish fan base there like? Yeah, it didn't seem to be. It was nowhere near as much as it would have been for the Mayweather fight or for the Khabib fight or the two Diaz fights. Or, you know, like it's just there just wasn't that many people there. You know, you, you can tell them by the GAA jerseys. You know, and even the guys like I saw a guy running through the Excalibur Hotel where I'm staying yesterday with an Irish flag, and I said to him, "That's not the first time that you're going to be making that run today, right?" And it was an American guy, 
you know, with a tricolour and that kind of thing. So uh, there definitely wasn't the same level of excitement. Like, I mean, again, you know, we've always said everybody should see a Connor fight in, in Vegas at some point. But last night, it just didn't reach the heights that it previously reached. You know, I don't know if people are watching on the TV. I'm sure they were, you know. But, you know, to be honest, I, I think hardcore fans of Connor would have come, you know, especially if they had the money. But it's a bad time of the year coming yeah. directly after Christmas and that kind of thing. It's not cheap to be in Vegas this week as it never is during fight week and that kind of thing. But I think, that, you know, there was a certain amount of support there, you know, and certainly the American fans were very much behind him, you know, and that, that, you know, they have terribly short memories when it comes to these things here, you know, they just, uh, you know, whatever is in Connor's past is in his past. It's like, you know, what have you done for me lately is very much the feeling here in Las Vegas. So, you know, there was a good atmosphere last night and it was better than, you know, any other sort of non-Connor fight in the UFC or Bellator or anything else that I've seen live but it still wasn't up to his usual standards but that may change I would imagine after that victory last night now if he was to take on Khabib or if he was to take on Tony in Brooklyn or whatever else it happens to be I think that's when we'll really see the return of the Conor McGregor fan base that maybe has moved away or sort of dialed it back a little bit since he entered into all these troubles but I do think that slowly but surely you know with that little bit of contrition and again the magic that he brought to the octagon terms of his striking last night I think that people will have a very very hard time staying away now they have to reconcile, you know, if his other behaviour is something that they can support and, and give their dollars to, because ultimately some of it's going to wind up in his pocket. But that's a discussion for another day. But I think they're on the way back, but they're not quite here just yet. Yeah, and, you know, rather than a narrative, I think it's a discussion that will go on, especially to his next fight, and it may be sorted by the time his next fight comes around in terms of the fan base. Uh, yeah, I think, if, I think he's yeah. pretty much a work in progress yeah. in terms of, you know, where he is personally and that kind of thing. Because, it's, you know, what happened to Paddy Hulham this week over comments he made in his podcast yeah. and everything else like that is, I don't know if you and I have done discussed it yet but that's the kind of thing that you know I, I often say around Christmas time that you know we're all just at different points along the road nobody's perfect Paddy was caught thinking out loud and saying things that you know he shouldn't have said in a public forum you know essentially they could be interpreted in many many different ways none of them positive Connor the same way the things that Connor has done are not done you know again there has to be some kind of reckoning with that and we all have to decide I've been sort of you know very very careful in the last week in the last year about splitting Connor the athlete and Connor the person mm-hmm. now for him it, that's impossible to do but for me and for you and for other people around that is possible for us to do and you know for us to still take an interest in him you know one does complement the other and that kind of thing so you know it is a work in progress and I think you know like anybody you know I used to run a soccer club and everybody was saying I was the softest man in the world because I give a second chance to absolutely anybody yeah. you know and I think that's the way here as well because again this is why the stories and the narratives of redemption are so powerful to us. You you mentioned Paddy Hoolan there I was going to bring it up at the end of the podcast but the fact you mentioned it let, let's talk about it now like I'm glad I have you on again because I, you're the political expert I don't really know anything about it but listen to his comments and this is an opinion I have at all times and it might be right or it might be wrong and I think we've actually spoken about this before but I find it I find it very very hard to look at sportsmen right who have uh, put their lives into doing a sport for a long long time and then they have this voice and then they use the voice for certain things like uh, I if I you know if if a doctor comes to me and wants to talk about you know <laughs> playing soccer I'd rather listen to to Lionel Messi but if Lionel Messi wants to talk to me about you know a GP a GP's practice I'd rather listen to the doctor say I I like I, you know Paddy Hoolan is not an expert in politics no matter what he'd have you think you know and he's he's a good man good man of the people and everything like that but it's when you put yourself in that position and when there's the general election coming up in three weeks and you're out there you know speaking you know shooting from the hip with the things you're saying you're uh, and you're not 
uh, as clued in politically as your position might show that you are, I think that's a big problem. I think that's a big problem. And I've always thought that it's not just Paddy Hoolan, but it's it's other people and they get into those positions as well, you know, and kind of pontificate about certain things in life, whether it's politics or, you know, you know, climate change or anything like that. You know, it's people, I'd rather listen to, you know, uh, you know a, a climate uh, uh, expert about climate change than fucking your man off parks and recreation or something <laughs> do, do you know what I mean is, is, is that what kind of you're thinking I, I know a lot of people don't agree with me and lots of people like these sports people and famous people to speak out and things and I know most people I think will actually probably disagree with me on this but I it annoys me so much I, I want experts to talk on this and I want to, to listen to the scientists and listen to the, the actual people in those positions maybe politicians are different anyway I'm ranting here go on you just speak no, but I, I think that's a very that's a very valid point. Yeah. You see, but what what Paddy, what's interesting about Paddy and his podcast and everything else like that is his lived experience, right? Mm. His career in the UFC, how he got there, how it was to be grown up in Thailand, that kind of thing. And he has a huge amount that is positive that he could draw on to tell stories from his own life and to put other things into context, right? Where the things where things get difficult is when you start to talk about stuff without being fully informed, exactly, exactly as you say, right? So we'll take one of the things that sort of you know got him the most criticism was he was talking about underage girls having sex with men and then demanding 10,000 mm-hmm. uh, euros in you know just to keep the whole thing quiet right there's no such thing as sex with underage girls what there is is child rape mm-hmm. right so when Paddy says this and you know whether he means it or not what people hear is Paddy is trying to paint uh, child rapists as the victims of blackmail, right? Mm-hmm. And that, if you want to talk about a narrative that people in this day and age are absolutely not going to accept, that is it, right? Now, Paddy is talking out the top of his head. I don't think Paddy has sat down and said, I'm going to make a point about this yeah. on the podcast today. I think this is something maybe somebody told him in the gym or somebody told him in the pub or somebody told him in the supermarket and he went, all right, and he filed it away and he's talking to Terry McMahon and he brought it up, mm-hmm. right? The same thing about, you know, it, there's an awful lot of sort of mysticism. If you go to the Mjolnir gym in Iceland, right, and you'll see like Mjolnir was the name of Thor's hammer if I remember correctly you know yeah. but uh, you know whatever part of mythology it, it winds up in there's a load of this sort of mythological thinking when we talk about combat sports and warriors and everything else like that right and then Paddy gets into talking about blood and Irish blood mm-hmm. and the revolution and how you know Leo Varadkar's blood is you know that, that would be more linked more coursing back to, to the Indian revolution and Gandhi and yeah. these things you're a scientist Sean you know that blood is basically proteins and water right there's no historical DNA in there there's no great memory of 1916 that you and I carry just because our forefathers mm-hmm. may have been in the shops that day or whatever, right? Yeah. So when you start to do that, he. but again, unfortunately, Paddy doesn't realise the sort of the forces he's drawing on and the things that he's calling up there and that kind of thing, you know? And then, you know, to refer to, you know, a family man, you know, they want to, want to get family man as the Taoiseach or as Prime Minister, you know, that, that sort of code words for not wanting a gay person to do it, right? Mm-hmm. So, but Paddy's problem really is that he didn't have anybody to say, Paddy, this could be interpreted in different ways, you know? If you're working in RTE and you say those kinds of things, somebody's going to say, hang on a second, stop, we can't do that because that can be interpreted in different ways. Yeah. But Paddy and his lads never saw that and they put the thing out there. And now it's coming back to bite him in the ass. I honestly, like I know Paddy Hoolan, you know Paddy Hoolan. There is no more genuine, decent mm. man. You know, the work he's done in this community and talent, that kind of thing is absolutely tremendous. I don't think that Paddy is in any way consciously racist or consciously no. sexist or consciously trying to defend child rape or anything else like that. Absolutely not. I do think he's just thinking out loud. And I think that he will be absolutely horrified to realise during the week that these things could be have been uh, interpreted in that way, you know. And in a way, it's a shame because, you know, I, you know, there's a barrier to people like Paddy getting into politics in the first place. And I was delighted when he was elected as a councillor for Sinn Féin that he could get in there and use this experience that he had. But then in saying things like 
this, it makes it really, really difficult for any political party to accept it. And then not make an, a, an apology whereby you come out and just say, lads, I was wrong. I did not mean that at all. I did not realize what I was doing. Then, you know, he backed himself into a corner by saying he'd been misinterpreted. There's very little can be misinterpreted there, you know. So, and again, you know, with, with Connor, we saw that, you know, I mean, I remember texting somebody in Connor's camp when he called uh, Floyd Mayweather boy. Uh, you know, you cannot call a black man a, a boy on stage in America because the racial connotations of that to slavery and everything else like that, you know, Con I don't think Connor meant it. I think, you know, he was just doing it as a bit of a joke, but I don't think he realized how black America would have experienced his comments and how hurtful they would have been in the same way as he, he wouldn't have realized how hurtful it would have been to the billion Muslims around the world when he's pushing uh, whiskey at one of their devout brethren, you know, they, like, they don't, just don't realize these things. And then when you do think back and you go, shit, man, that wasn't the right thing to say, you know, so it is difficult. You're right. You know, we should really only stick to what we're to, to stick to what we know. But also, I think, you know, that, you know, Paddy's in the position of a presenter there in that podcast. And without a bit of journalistic training, and, you know, to turn these things over in your mind, you know, I get away with it an awful lot. I sail very, very close to the wind on a lot of things I say, but I usually manage to exercise my judgment, as do you. You know, we know that there are topics that come up on this uh, podcast that, you know, we shouldn't get into the personal. We shouldn't get into people's legal difficulties, that kind of thing. And we sail just the right, the right side of the wind. But unfortunately, Paddy got carried away now and he's paying the price for that. Yeah. I think there's probably no two better people to talk about like uh, having to develop an understanding for when to say the right thing and when not to say a certain thing. Um, it took me a long time, a long, long time, because I started as an MMA fan and to be, you know, to to kind of turn into someone who talks about the sport and you know, I'm I wouldn't call myself a journalist or anybody, a media member. You know, it takes a lot of development to develop an ability to do that without acting like a fan and without being a fan. You know, while keep still keeping your your love of the sport on with you, and it's the same thing. You know, Paddy's moving into a different realm. He's what is he only a politician for a year or something like that? It had all the hallmarks of someone who's in a position and is not yet prepared for that position. It really did, and it there's no you know there's no uh, coincidence that the fact that there's a general election coming up in three weeks and people are looking for this. And he said he gave them the opportunity and they took it. You know, like like anything else but look i i, I think we're, we're both in agreement patty i don't think patty has a bad time i don't i don't think he meant it in any way i think it was just stupidity really wasn't it, it was, was well I, I think it's, it's more clumsy than anything yeah. else you know i mean you know i would never go as far as to say and patty like patty hoolan is not a stupid man no, by a long stretch right? stupid, though. yeah no well i think i think it was it, it was it was ill-considered right mm -hmm. i don't think he thought about no. how this could be interpreted right because a lot of the things i wrote a piece years ago which you know got huge speed, uh, spread in social media at the time right there's this urban myth that goes around dublin where you know a nigerian asylum seeker will be getting on the bus uh, with our children and because the fact that there's no space in the bus she just leave the boogie and a pram on the side of the road yeah. because social welfare will buy her a new one anyway. That's bollocks. It has never happened, but it's just one of those things that sounds just about feasible and it's a great stick to beat immigrants with, right? And I think that that's what Paddy was doing there. He was working through these urban myths, these things yeah. that he was hearing and thinking that, you know, there seems to be a grain of truth in this. And I mean, the greatest man in the world is the, for doing that is the man with the most popular podcast in the world. That's Joe Rogan. Exactly, yeah. You know, if you were to fact check Joe Rogan's podcast, if anybody could be bothered listening to it for four hours, you would find any amount of stuff that Joe is just you know, spit on as they call it in America. He's just talking, he's working out theories and ideas and that kind of thing, right? Now, that's fine for Joe and for his guests because they know what's happening, mm -hmm. right? But if you're sitting in Milwaukee or if you're sitting in Milltown or if you're sitting in Milton Keynes, you don't necessarily know that that's what Joe was doing, exactly. that he's considering, he's pondering, he's discussing these things. And you're saying, oh, you know, maybe this is true. Maybe Area 51 is a thing mm -hmm. or whatever it happens to be, you know? So, you know, we have to be a lot sort of uh, better as media consumers, but also as media creators to, to never leave the door open 
open for people to, to interpret our remarks in a way that we exactly. didn't mean. And that's the skill of this game. Yeah, JFK definitely wasn't shot, though. <laughs> but no i think they should fact check joe rogan's fucking commentary because oh god it's it's so bad but anyway let's yeah, let's run through a few of these fights very quickly because i've kept you <laughs> long enough this stage now let's run through them here um holly home and raquel pennington just a fucking horrendous boring fight pushed against defense holly home won it over three rounds that actually had my the betting show i right. gave yeah. let me stop let me stop you right there let yeah. me stop that was I really enjoy that fight. Right? I am the unicorn here. <laughs> I swear to God, right? I was sitting there watching the, the wrestling against the cage was just like watching chess. It was fantastic. Underhooks and overhooks and double unders and shifted hips and not being able to get leverage and that kind of thing. It was, now, you know, for, for people who don't like that kind of thing, you know, those people there booing. I was saying on Twitter that people should need a license to boo at a UFC event. No, no. As soon as they went to the cage in the second and third rounds, people were starting to boo because they knew what was coming. But the, the, the wrestling in it and both de- defensive and offensive it was absolutely fantastic obviously we would have loved to have seen a sort of a toe-to-toe Ronda Rousey style uh, head kick knockout and that kind of thing but this is what we were going to get everybody on press row was saying the same thing that this was going to a decision and the home mm-hmm. would probably win it because just nothing would happen and that's exactly how it played out but I gotta say I really enjoyed it. and you know anybody who wants to know what MMA wrestling should look like up against the cage needs to go back and watch that fight because they really did a superb job should they have been allowed to do it for three whole rounds absolutely not but you know parts of it I really really enjoyed I felt the same way about uh, Olenek versus Green I thought that was brilliant the grappling against the cage grappling on the ground was just absolutely fantastic Olnick able to finish it with the armbar. Like, isn't there something special about MMA that a fella like uh, Alexi Olnick can go in there and beat a guy like Maurice Green, this big, huge, six foot seven monster who moves fast and throws hard and everything, and he can be like, does that happen in any other sport where an old lad like that can come in and have this superior, not a superior skill, an inferior skill set, but just this, like, not to go full Liam Neeson here, but have a. a, <laughs> a <laughs> a specific set of skills to beat someone like it's it's brilliant isn't it it's fantastic and you know we were watching him go through like there was a point last night where he sort of you know he slipped past you know going for the nogi ezekiel choke which he does mm-hmm. and this and he was just going through the toolbox advancing his position the whole time and again you know people are building like i mean the first thing alexi came out and tried to do was he tried to throw some sort of huge hand over the top i can't remember if it was the left hand or the right hand he was going with you know but he threw this huge shot and it wasn't landing green just got out of the way but then when he did get him down to the ground like again the grappling was absolutely tremendous uh, he passed his guard a couple of times the pressure he put on was tremendous as well you know and it really was like that was the thing i know uh you know you say that it, high level fights can't be won with jiu-jitsu in, in mma anymore and you know that's a point that we'll argue again ad nauseum mm-hmm. but but la- anyway. yeah but no no <laughs> and it wasn't but at the same time you know i would argue that the, the defensive jiu-jitsu that's out there now is just so much better it's so hard that's to break point. it down yeah, that's my whole point uh, yeah and uh, you know, but last night, like Olinik was going through all the moves there, and he was trying to get all sorts of different things. You know, we saw him trying to go for north south on occasions. We saw him trying to get, you know, g- gripping and grabbing, and you know, shifting his hips, turning back to for all sorts of things there to get into the position, and you know, to try to get to mount and all sorts of forcing the knee across, and that kind of thing was just fascinating to see. But like you say, that's what jujitsu is. That's what the, you know the, the original Gracies were doing, Helio Gracie and that kind of thing were doing. He was an old man who used to just you know let people try to take him down, and then he just worked from there. You know, so it was a great. Um, a great advertisement for the for the sport of jiu-jitsu. Again, grappling heavy matches are never all that exciting for for you know the casual fan, so to speak. But again, there was loads of that was well worth watching. Yeah, and it gives it. you know it gives hope to people like Cerrone, like you know a little you know when they do get a little bit older, they're not quite finished yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I really loved it. Brian Keller and Odie Osborne kind of went the, the same way. A lot of people thought Odie Osborne was the the the, the quicker guy with the better striking and and the the the, the superior power. 
but Brian Keller got you know got in there, got the guillotine, and, and choked him out. Did very good. Another win for Irish MMA last night. So fair play to Brian Keller. You know, <laughs> a good guy, a smart guy as well. I like to see guys like that in there. Now the Osborne, he'll be back as well. Looks like a good guy. Then I must talk about the Freya Pettis fight because. Like, Anthony Pettis is, is this guy. He reminds me a bit of, you know, Nanny, who used to play for Man United. Like, a really good player with all the talents in the world, but never produces. They actually met him in LA on Monday, would you believe? Did you? Know. That's, that's mad, yeah. isn't it? He's he, doing well. He's he, asking for you. Yeah, was he? Fair play to him. But, like, he's such a skill set. But, like, Anthony Pettis is the most frustrating fighter in the world to watch because he has it all, but he just uses it so badly. Like, I, <laughs> he, he, he moved to Greg Jackson's camp there at one stage. And he was actually making bits of improvements. And then he moved back to uh, to uh, Duke Duke Rufus. Uh, like, I think Duke is a good coach. A little bit like Mark Henry as well, who teaches you things very well. Like, Anthony Pettis is a great fighter in all aspects. He's just... His game playing and his... What he does in the middle of a fight is just not good uh, at all. And he's so... Fr- like... Is that, is that something that was kind of taught there last night? Or do you think yourself as well? Like, yeah, oh, no, it's mm-hmm. definitely you know, Anthony, Anthony Pettis is one of those fighters who just overthinks things. He overanalyzes things in the octagon. And you know what? Sometimes the best thing to do is to punch the other guy in the face. Exactly. And that was just we were sitting there looking at Anthony Pettis last night, going, "Just fucking hit him," mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. And you know, he was conceding so much and great boxing and head movement and everything else like that, defensive boxing, moving around that kind of. Just hit the guy, you know. Yeah. Don't be waiting for it. Force the pace a little bit. You're you, like you're the ex champ here. Right, mm-hmm. you're the guy who should be setting the pace. I mean, Ferreira, I was really impressed with the guy, you know, with with how he did and that kind of thing. But I think, Pettis, you you have it all. Just go in there and show even some of it. But you know, again, you know, some guys who you know when they are that rounded, but they've got that many tools to choose from, they just can't find the one that they need at any given minute. You know, but Ferreira was definitely for me. He was a very worthy winner of that fight. The most frustrating thing about about that fight, uh, fight, just quickly, was for he actually gave him a chance because most people come in there. There's a blueprint to beat Anthony Pettis. I always talk about. You push him forward, push him against the fence he'll give it up he'll, he'll put his back against the fence and you can beat him there Fahir wasn't really doing that he was like stepping in inside but he wasn't with that forward pressure you look, I was watching him and Joe Rogan mentioned it, I think after I tweeted or Paul Felder one of them he was lifting that front leg and coming in it's like you could see it coming it wasn't as if he was just putting pressure on him forward and Pettis actually you know he uh, despite himself <laughs> he was actually getting out of it he was circling away and he was getting around and he just still didn't win. Like, he still didn't land those shots. As you were saying, just throw the... Uh, like, the body kick was wide open. He's knocked out Cerrone. knocked out other yep. people with that body kick. It was wide open. He didn't throw it all night. He, it was just so disappointing. But and Especially yeah, especially when your opponent is standing on the back leg, right? Like, yeah. what they're doing... What they're going to do... Well, that, like, <laughs> yeah, no, but... Like, if they're standing on the back leg and you throw a body kick, the, the only, their only way out is to move forward exactly. towards yeah. you, which sets you up either for a straight uh, a straight left, it would have been in this case, or a hook, you know? Mm-hmm. And for Pettis to be standing there going, what's he doing? What's he doing? No, no, just punch him in the face. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and the exact opposite, then, I suppose, can be said about Roxanne Mataferi versus Macy Barber. You know, Roxy came out and hurt her with a shot early. I thought it'd be the other way around. And Macy didn't seem to ever recover from that. You know, she got hurt at the start of the second round again with a jab. Uh, Roxy took her down a few times. Macy hurt her leg and stayed in there, fair play to her. I know it shows the toughness of her, but. This was a big, big upset. I wrote Roxanne off totally. Although myself and Andy Stevenson on the betting show, Andy, I think, said um, uh, uh, Barber by decision. I said if it goes to the decision, Roxanne will win. So I was, I was writing that. But this was, this was a huge shock, wasn't it? And a real maybe adjustment of where Macy, like watching this fight for me, looking at Macy Barber, we always have these fights where you have you know two lines meeting on a curve, one going up and one going down, and where are they going to intersect or which one's going to end up higher and which one's going to end up lower. And I think most people thought Macy Barber would intersect and go a mile over Roxy, Roxanne Mataferi coming into this fight, but it just wasn't that way, was it? I was I was very disappointed with Macy Barber here. I won't like how, how did people see it in press row? 
Well, you see, I, th- I think everybody got blinded by the fact that we had this, uh, the doctor who came in there and did the MRI with just his glasses yeah, and was able to diagnose a partial uh, ACL. <laughs> to, so, I mean, to, be, yeah, but to be honest, it's one of those things that like I, when I used to coach women's soccer and that kind of thing and young girls playing soccer, th- there is actually a test that you can do to see yeah. the stability of the knee joint and that kind of thing. So, you know, there is a little bit more to it than him just going in there being a witch doctor, right? But that fight immediately became about Macy Barber and her toughness once he said she has a partial ACL tear. Well, what people should be talking about is how she was rocked twice before that. As far as I know, that injury came about as she sort of stumbled after getting hit. That's mm-hmm. as far as I could tell. And she was also rocked in the first round and she was badly rocked in the first round as well you know so that's the kind of thing that we should be talking about that yeah, again we've had this person put up there as a bulletproof contender somebody's going to go all the way to the top talks a great fight hugely entertaining you'd want to see the queue for a during media day the other day to talk to her everybody, everybody wanted to talk to Macy Barber but nobody was really talking to Roxy and Roxy has done her best to stuff you know she's wearing various different things in her head at the weigh-ins and this kind of thing and just getting in there and you know being a fun person that kind of thing she's real quirky you know but yeah. she went in there and you know it, she has to get props as well because she didn't go after her Macy's left knee despite the fact that she knew it was damaged uh, her, that she had limit, ligament damage there she didn't go after that knee which is you know a credit to her because she would have torn the fucking knee off her completely you know she'll probably have to have some sort of uh, reconstruction on that ACL now but you know she could have made it a whole lot worse and she didn't and that's a very very sporting thing to do in that situation when you're somebody who's a veteran in the business you don't know like look what happened to Liz Carmouche you know you don't know when that contract's getting ripped up and you're out the door on your way to Bellator somewhere else without so much as a thank you so you know Roxy needed that win last night you know and and a lesser person would have gone in there and just kicked the leg off her to get it by stoppage or doctor stoppage or whatever, but she didn't, you know. But Macy Barber's going to have a lot of work to do. That said, you know, Ben Askren in the corner there, they carried her out of there last night. It's quite sad to see because, you know, there was an expression of pain on her face, Sean, but it was more disappointment than pain, you know, that way. She wanted to go in there, she wanted to put on a show, and it just didn't go her way at all. Yeah, and it depends where she goes from this now because that could be the best thing that ever happened to her, you know. And we see a lot. Look at Conor McGregor in his career losing twice. It was the best thing that probably ever happened to me, probably tell you now. So she could turn this around. It could be the best thing that ever happened to her. Well, look, I hope it is. I think Macy Barber has a lot of potential, but definitely worrying signs last night. Another person with a lot of potential, Sadiq Yusuf, uh, beat Andre Touchy-Feely in a really fun fight for me. I don't know if it won fight of the night, but it was my fight of the night anyway. I, I call this exactly as, a, <laughs> as it happened, in fairness to me. Now, I don't do it often, but, you know, Yusuf came out, landed more power shots. Feely, just a fantastic chin for the first four, uh, two rounds. Uh, Feely came out in the third then. Landed more shots. I think Yusuf kind of took the third round off a little bit. Was being careful. He knew he the first two rounds won despite Joe Rogan being an idiot on commentary. And uh, very good fight. I really liked it. This was this was by far I think the most high level fight on the card. Wasn't it? You know the McGregor Cerrone fight only went forty seconds. Maybe that would have passed it out. But this this was real high level MMA here, wasn't it? Yeah, no, that was a really enjoyable fight. And Feely's one of those guys that I think he fought Artem Lobov in the past, didn't he? Did, uh, yeah. was that, yeah. that was in the T-Mobile on the same card as Conor Diaz too. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it was interesting to see the progression there because I thought he was really, really good. But that was one of those really, uh, like, when we were looking at this card, we were thinking there's very little in this card, especially when Claudia Gadea goes out because her yeah. opponent misses weight, that kind of thing. And Holly Holm, you know, Pennington, or, or uh, we knew what we were going to get in that mm-hmm. match, you know. And this was the one that was going to give us the fighting, you know. Pettis possibly if he had to let go of his hands, but he didn't, you know. And this definitely gave us like a taste of of what MMA, you know, a good rounded MMA match should look like, you know. And I mean, Feely can't really have any complaints, you know. And, and again, Sadiq, he did take the third round off. He was kind of coasting, and even the last ten or fifteen seconds, he's gone. If I just keep my head out of the way here, I have this in the bag, you know. But it really was like it was a good competitive fight, you know. But I don't think Feely can complain too much about the the result. One hundred percent. I'll run through. The 
the rest of the card here pretty quickly. Um, Tim Elliott, Askar Askarov, a really good display from Askar Askarov, but the, the toughness of, of Tim Elliott is just unbelievable. He got slept in that first round, and he just balanced like a bottle <laughs> flip, and he just stood up there like, you know, it was, it was a weird, like a spinning top, and he managed to stay awake, and then or he didn't manage to stay, he got slept, and he woke up. It was just unbelievable. Then he started to push the pace. Uh, and won that second round, I thought. Uh, but he pushed the best again in the third and lost it badly. This was a perfect example of how you judge a round. But like, I think it was actually so... <laughs> it was so clear, though, that he was just some insanely stupid in his game plan. That, that he just pushed forward and decided to eat shots and hoping he'd win the round that way. After he did the opposite in the second round, it just made absolutely no sense and he ended up losing. But a, a good fight, uh, all the same. Then, after that, my boy Nasrat Harper got unfortunately knocked out. Uh, Drew Dober uh, knocked him out, landed a big left hand. But for me, and I, I want to get your take on this sitting cage side as well, that knockout, the referee let this go so... Like, there's nothing worse than MMA than someone getting clearly knocked out. They take a big shot on the, the ground. They've got their opportunity to take that second shot to see if they're recovered. They, they're clearly knocked out and then they take seven more punches on the ground. Mark Smith is the referee. I have to name him here. That was, yeah. to me, disgusting. How, how did you see it? Uh, D- Dana went absolutely bananas afterwards. Mm-hmm. You know, he was going, oh, you know, Mark Smith is a nice guy. I didn't mention him by name, but uh, he was going, oh, he's a nice guy. He's a nice guy. And I don't want to be sitting up here. You know, I've had my run-ins with referees, but that was, you know, disgraceful. And it was, you know, I mean, Nasrat made a huge error in going in there without sort of, you know, any sort of a guard, anything covering his face, and he got slept, you know. But Smith has got to stop that. He's got to jump in there. The first, maybe the second strike, and you're done. There was nothing happening whatsoever there. And, you know, like intelligent defense, there wasn't even a sign of life at that stage, you know. So just just call it off and that kind of thing. And again, you know, we always say it's easy for us to sit at the cage side or to sit at home watching on TV and say, you know, what should be done, what could be done. I find it hard to see what the excuse was. He seemed to be in a pretty good place, you know. We all saw there was no angle in the T Mobile Arena last night that you couldn't see what happened to Nasrat when he hit the deck there. You know, that fight was over as soon as that shot landed. That fight was pretty much over there and then. He could that was a walk off knockout, you know, mm-hmm. and you know, to not jump in there. And it just it gives fuel to the fire to, of people who are, um, you know, who say, oh, not a sport and too violent and that kind of thing. And there was a couple of instances last night. Cerrone probably didn't have to take a few of those shots. I know Connor held off on a couple of them as well, so it's not to do too much damage. But yeah, you know, again, I hope the referees look back. Actually, Herb Dean was in the process of not making it into the building last night. They were going, where's your accreditation? Yeah, when I was going in, it was going, me? Do I really need one kind of thing? You know? yeah. But uh, it would face. have been better. <laughs> yeah, I mean, no, Herb has come in for a lot of criticism in his time as well, you know, but definitely that's one of those things that, you know, then Mark Goddard, you know, whoever organized the referees, even the state of medical commission need to look at and send him an email saying mark next time you know protect the fighter that's mm-hmm. that's the problem out here yeah i, I think Herb Dean did well in the main event as well i must mention i've given him enough criticism I, t- I think he stopped it at exactly the right time but uh alexa camor as well walked out the 21 pilots and he was always going to win from that point good good uh fighting <laughs> justin Ledet did, did a great job despite joe rogan's horrendous commentary as well just a bad night for joe rogan i actually thought paul felder was fantastic but that's neither here nor there and then sabina maza versus jj aldrich i suppose that was kind of uh, the big judging fight on the night. It was very close. I think Maza won the first uh, and the third. Th- uh, no, sorry, Aldridge won the first. Maza won the third and the second round was close. I actually thought the third round was close to a 10-8 as well for Maza. I nearly would have given it a draw, I think. Uh, the second round, you know, we talk about the, the shots being... You, you need to land, you know, the big shots to win the round, the immediate effect on the fight from those shots. And the, the problem with that was Aldrich kind of did that at the start of the round and Mazza did it towards the end of the round. So it's hard to spin him. I think Aldridge just about should have won that second round. 
but it's that's a tough round to score. I think. I I think like I, I don't think anyone would score the, the third ten eight. So maybe I need to go back and watch it again. But watching live, I thought maybe you know that could be a ten eight. So either twenty nine twenty eight Aldrich or twenty eight twenty eight. But the twenty nine twenty eight Mazo, I don't think is a horrendous score either. But yeah, not not you know not a bad card overall and uh, a good night of fights. Anything close up? If anyone is uh, listen, this we might we might answer actually one or two questions, but we're going to answer all the questions on the Q and A uh, this week. We're I'm going to obviously there's cards coming up next week. I'll have another podcast over on Patreon this week talking about those cards and everything like that. So uh, don't don't worry if you if you think I'm forgetting about them fights. I'm I'm not, but I think it's just important to uh, to look at at this right now. Philip, anything kind of to to close up on the current thing I missed out on there that obviously you see in live might might have seen that I didn't see. Yeah, no, like I think you actually probably had a better view of it than me because at times, like I started out and the UFC put the gods, which is way above the arena. It's the same place I was at for Khabib. And then I was eventually moved down cage side and that kind of thing. So I was able to see an awful lot better. But in that, I missed a round here and I missed a fight there. I can't even remember which one of the fights I missed, but somebody got choked out or somebody got knocked out in one of them. And I wasn't actually in there to see it. I'd ran in to get a cup of coffee was they were moving me around the place and that, you know. But yeah, in general, you know, the event was, you know, it really felt like a return to form, not just for Conor, but for the UFC. This is where they feel they belong. This is what WME, IMG or Endeavor or whatever they're new called. This is what they paid all that money for is for nights like this. And it's no surprise to hear Conor McGregor, to hear Dana White, to hear absolutely everybody talk about doing this at least two more times this year. Because if the UFC is to really, really establish itself as a premium sports brand alongside ESPN and all those kinds of things, these are the nights that they have to provide. You know, mm-hmm. even if they, you know, we've seen better undercards and that kind of thing, but that doesn't matter. You know, this, this the whole card delivered. Mm-hmm. 100%. Last thing here. Don Stickney asks about Usman, who we haven't really sp- spoken about. And Andrew Harvey asks about Nate Diaz, who we really haven't spoken about either. Like, to me, the Usman fight is one that you could make if you wanted it to make, if you wanted to make it. But I, I think it's not the biggest money fight for McGregor. And it's probably the most dangerous fight for McGregor in terms of him uh, losing. 100%. So I wouldn't be giving him that fight. The Diaz fight, you know, Andrew Harvey makes the point there that, uh, you know, if Habib versus... Um, uh, Tony happens now and McGregor doesn't get into that fight that's a long time to wait before that fight happens and you know a lot of people maybe think he'd fight Manny or Floyd in, in the interim but what about Diaz what do you think about like McGregor last night was asked about Diaz and he said come on Nate let's do the third one do you think that yeah. might be the fight to actually make right now I, I, I think that, that that's Connor's insurance fight right now that's in his back pocket so we have to see what happens if Tony and Khabib actually manage to get in there together well then that's Connor out of that fight he's not going to be able to do that what he could do is he could fight you know there in April I think the middle of April 18th in Brooklyn so you know he could fight then after after that in May he could take on Diaz and then he could take a boxing match in, in August and then he could take uh, you know the New Year's Eve card here in Vegas against whoever happens to be left in his redemption tour you know mm-hmm. so you know I think that that's one of the, that's always there Nate's always there as well Nate's not booked for anything so they can fight next week in a car park if they want to you know so I think that's probably how it's going to play out at the moment is that they're going to wait to see because I think Ramadan is coming up as well yeah. after um, Khabib fights then he's going to be observing Ramadan for a month pretty much soon after that then so that's him out you know he's not going to fight again I can't see him coming back in time for international fight week in July so that sort of pushes out the calendar so yeah absolutely like you know a May date against Nate would be you know that would be definitely one to see and you know that would mean as well that if Conor decided to do that at welterweight again then there's you know there's no need for him to he could just keep working as he is keep in the gym not have to cut anything else like that I think 
definitely, you know, it has to be said as well, like, you know, that uh, this of the, uh, I don't know if he would have had stamina problems last night. He yeah. looked really, really good last night. And I think mm-hmm. he could have gone into the third round easily without any sort of fall off in production or that kind of thing. So, so that's always there. But, you know, again, it's, you know, how does he want to weave this story? How does he want to tell this story? Because that's what he's doing now. And he started to write the next chapter in this story last night. Mm-hmm. As Aaron Aaron said, not there yet, but getting there. I think that's the that's the case for Conor McGregor this week. Philip, thank you very much. I really uh, appreciate it. Follow him on Twitter at Philip O'Connor. Check out his stuff. Our man in Stockholm on Patreon, Irish Times, everything like that. You'll find everything on Twitter. Philip, thank you very much uh, for joining me today. I really, really appreciate it. Thanks everyone for listening. We'll see you all next time. Good luck.